And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, what's going on, everybody? Welcome into another episode of the Buffalo Beat. My name is Joe Pascalia. Thank you all for joining me on this uh, post-game edition of the show. The Bills claiming a 20-12 victory over the New York Jets. It was a game that once they took the lead for the second time in the second in the second half, just really seemed like that they could have potentially run away with it, but they didn't. Kind of let the Jets hang around a little bit. But we'll get into all of uh, the individual uh, highlights throughout the game as to what made this outing. You know, it's there's really two different ways that you could take it. And it's kind of one of those days where there's not like a huge takeaway to draw from it, but still an impressive victory all the same because it's going against a team that is at least at the time of this recording, you know, the, the Chargers are still playing the Dolphins right now, but at least at the time of this recording, the Jets were in a playoff position. You know, that it's a team in the Jets that are going to be battling for a playoff spot. Their head coach, Robert Sala, believes that they're going to meet the Bills in the playoffs at some point. That, that was kind of their his uh his proclamation after the game. So from that sense, an impressive game. How they got there at times, you know, hit or miss. But we'll get there. The game really at least at the beginning, I thought, was a bit of a microcosm for just what the weather was like out there. <laughs> the, the beginning of the game was miserable, if we're being honest. Um, the score was 0-0 zero zero for far too long. Punt fest. I mean, I don't mind it. You know me. I'm, I'm, I'm big into the Puntapalooza, but... In terms of a, an NFL game against between two teams that... Well, one team that is definitely going to be in the playoffs and another team that is trying to get to the playoffs have a 0-0 scoreline for most of the first half. That's that's a tough one. But it was a bit of a mirror to how the weather was outside. Just this miserable stuff. Like in, in my estimation, what it was to begin the game is, I think, the most miserable weather just to like stand in to to play in just just a little bit above freezing temperature so it's not quite snow because if it's like 29 degrees and snowy it's a totally different totally different game but because it's 34 33 33 to 35 degrees and and rainy that's just that's just miserable while you're on the sidelines and just getting soaked 
through your clothes, through, you know, just trying to stay warm as, as much as possible because the rain just adds a different layer of cold to you. And then you've got the, the cold air blowing against the, uh, the wet that is all over your clothes and your skin. It's just not great. Not great. But that offensive performance from both teams in the early stages was left a lot to be desired. And to the credit of the individual defenses, like they they brought it early on in, in those in those games or early on in the game. But I kind of the way that I started off the show was in saying that there's kind of two different ways that you can you can take this game from a Bills perspective. And we'll get into the details on on both sides of the ball, but it's really just like one side or the other. It really depends on how you want to look at it. But in the end, all of it is pretty true. From an offensive perspective, this is now quite a few weeks in a row now that they have not really played a complete game. They have sputtered far too often. They've been battling inconsistency from quite a few of their receivers. And that same like killer instinct just hasn't been there. But you also have to couple that in this game because the Bills, obviously, they sputtered a bit in the first half and then down the stretch in, in the second half when they could have put the game away. All of those, they, they were going up against a good defense in the Jets, so that has to be considered as well. But they did squander some point potential with shortened fields, things like that. But it also wasn't like a, a clean Jets defensive effort all game long. There were plenty of opportunities that the Bills just missed. Like early in the game, John Brown was deep down the field, got behind the zone coverage. Josh Allen spotted him. The ball was a little short. John Brown doesn't come down with it. And I think that was like John Brown's only snap for a solid, I don't want to say for at least like 30 plays. Let's see. That was the, from my count, that was the sixth snap of the game. And John Brown's next snap didn't come until number 48 by my count. It's a, it's a long time on the sidelines. He, by my count, he wound up with three, uh, three snaps. But that was an opportunity missed in, in a couple of different ways. Isaiah McKenzie dropped a couple of passes. You know, the offense just, just wasn't sharp. They were taking a lot of penalties, just self-inflicted stuff. And that was kind of reminiscent of how it went in New Jersey against the same Jets team. Because one of my biggest takeaways from that one, even, you know, they lost the game, of course. I think it was those self-inflicted errors that ultimately led them there because they just, despite having chances for first downs, for points and all this other stuff, like they just flat out missed all those chances against the Jets. So it was a bit of the same quality to the game. And Sean McDermott was not happy with you know, the drop passes, the mental errors. 
He called them fundamentals. Uh, he was then asked if the weather had something to do with the drop passes and like McDermott almost kind of chuckled and said the weather had nothing to do with it. So he's not pleased. And it does make you wonder if that could lead to some maybe slight changes of the rotation. Not to say like they're going to bench a guy completely because, I mean, look at their roster. They have four receivers on the active roster right now. And John Brown barely played against the Jets. So it's Diggs, Davis, McKenzie, and Shakir. There's only so many ways you can kind of dice that up. So if they were to get like Jamison Crowder back uh, by the end of the season, that could influence things a little bit. Or if they were to get like Odell Beckham to sign, even though it, it seems like he doesn't want to play in the regular season, yeah, that that can shift some things too. So they've, they've got a decision to make whether or not to maybe cut into McKenzie's snaps with Shakir there's also Jake Kumaro, who's who's on injured reserve. Um, you know, we could wind up seeing whether or not Kumaro could get back uh, in time before too long here. Let's see. He's been on the IR for three games now. Or this would be his fourth game. So he would technically be eligible to return for the Dolphins game next week. But there's just so many different ways you can... There's not that many different ways that you can kind of divvy it up and they're kind of stuck with what they've got at this point. But it does bear watching to see if some of these uh, these comments from Sean McDermott lead to anything. So that's that's the one side of the coin. But on the other side, which is also just as true as everything that I just said, is the fact that the defense really seems like they are rounding into form here. And that is even considering some of the struggles of the second cornerback spot and how it remains completely unsettled. At least that's that's how it feels right now. And some of the up and down play from DeMar Hamlin at one of the safety spots and not having Von Miller on the field. Even with all of that, those three individual spots, the whole operation just seems like it's getting to a really great place. And right in the late stages of the year, they've they've had to depend on the defense to get them to the finish line on some games. And they've stepped up over the last month of the season. And the, the, the damnedest thing of it is, in this Jets game in particular, it was almost there was almost more meat on the bone for the defense. Like they played great. They only allowed one touchdown drive. They allowed another field goal. You know, the, the third and long stuff is is the biggest concern with this defense right now, because they allowed six of 13 third and long opportunities. But that was their that's the the biggest thing you could take away from it from it and say, okay, they they really struggled in this area. Other than that, I mean, they were getting to the quarterback. They were winning their one-on-ones along the defensive line. Matt Milano was flying around like crazy again. Tremaine Edmonds, same deal. 
Tredavious White played uh, played a full game. Jordan Poyer was getting in on passes. The Bills created two turnovers, and it really seemed like they had an opportunity, like six to seven others, and they didn't convert on any of those. I'm talking tipped passes, good reads from someone else in a different part of a zone that kind of read Mike White's eyes and got back there. There was a, a fumble that the Jets wound up recovering. How about the, the tip pass that went straight in the air at the goal line that uh, the Bills could have brought down? So that's why I just felt like there was more meat on the bone there, which could have created some more shortened field opportunities for the offense, which therein could have created more points. But that's really the the only thing you can... That and third and longs, those are the only things you can really criticize the defense for. But from a macro perspective, this defense, the way that it's playing, and I'll get to some certain individual performances because I thought a, a few really stood out. It is their best sign that this team is going to be a handful to deal with throughout the, the rest of the regular season, certainly. And then in the playoffs, as long as they they keep this going. Because they've been a bit unhealthy on the defensive side. And they're still without Micah Hyde and Von Miller, mind you, who are both on IR. Von Miller confirmed to be out for the season. Micah Hyde, we'll see. You know, if if you are just listening to this and you're, and you're like, wait, Micah Hyde, we'll see. Head back um, to my five thoughts preview uh, column that I wrote ahead of the Lions game. I caught up with Micah Hyde and he kind of left the door open to potentially coming back this year. He wants to. Uh, he said historically it doesn't happen, but it certainly seems like he's pushing and he's been working out to the side. Uh, basically every practice we've we've been to since like mid-November area. Just something to keep an eye on. But that's not the point here. It's without those guys, they are still looking great right now. And that's where it kind of leads us to the individual performances of where what has stood out so much that has empowered them to be this dominant defense really over the last two weeks. And it's not as though they were up against behemoth offenses like the Patriots. You know, Mac Jones is below average. Mike White, same deal. But they dominated those two games. There's really no way around it. What they should have done, they did. And they even could have did a little bit more against the Jets. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all... It's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I think the one guy that really stands out to me as to why this thing has looked so good the last two weeks, even without Von Miller, has been Greg Rousseau. There was one stretch at, at the end of the first half against the Patriots where Russo was playing with his hair on fire, he was awesome, like making a, an impact every single snap. And he, and he began to do the same thing against the Jets. And it makes you wonder if something has clicked with this guy because he has now gone from what he was as a rookie and maybe earlier in the season where he's this guy that can that has great length, really good run defender, probably their best run defending defensive end and how well he can stay off a block and then collapse on a on a runner if he's trying to take the inside route on his lane or edge contain to continue to either force the runner back inside or to kind of like strafe with the with the blocker to force a wider rush from the running back like he does those things excellently most times and then as a pass rusher he was more of the guy who depended on his length to hold the blocker off his pads and then once he sensed an opportunity with either the quarterback hanging on to the ball or the quarterback getting flushed out of the pocket, he would disengage and then get to the quarterback and either 
force an incompletion or, you know, sometimes get a sack. But that was his best means to getting to the quarterback. I've seen a different dude the last two weeks from Greg Rousseau. And it really, it's been, he's been showing flashes of it throughout the year a lot more than he did last year. But he is right now playing near his ceiling of what he could be. Now, it's it's a bit different because he hasn't necessarily attracted the attention that is commensurate with how well he played last week and how well he played this week. Like Rousseau has been really good as a one-on-one pass rusher this year. His stats are great. Not just sacks. I'm talking about pressure rates, everything like that, one-on-one wins. But he's done that for much of the year with Von Miller on the other side. And in these past two weeks, you know, not really garnering that sort of crazy attention that you would expect or that that some of the elite rushers do receive. But I'll tell you what, after these two games, I would be pretty stunned if the Dolphins didn't give more attention in terms of double block, double teams, um, chipping from either the tight end or the running running back or moving the pocket away from, from him. I would be pretty stunned if they don't start to game plan for him. Because right now, Rousseau is winning on his one-on-ones in many different ways. He's thinking through his reps. He's setting up the blockers uh, for future moves. He's seeing how the blockers is trying to go against him, relying on that tendency and then and then doing a move to counter that tendency. Like these are all things he is thinking through it and it is it is really impressive to watch. But that's where the kind of the shift comes in because now he is at least to me how it looked on film last week and how it looked in this one, he is now the guy for the Bills. He's playing a ton of snaps. Shaq Lawson has been solid on the other side. AJ Epinesa has been has been solid on the other side. Not quite the pass rushing prowess that Rousseau has shown. Which brings him to the next point of his career, which he has to potentially try and prove that he can still be impactful while going up against a chip or a double team and finding ways to win and still get in the pocket. But that might be a little bit of a slow go. It really depends on on the rest of the of the defensive line to meet him at that meet him at that playing level. And you know, I, I thought they did a really nice job of it in this one. And the Jets offensive tackles have been kind of a mess this year. Our buddy Zach Rosenblatt uh <laughs> He likened it to the defense against the dark arts post during Harry Potter's tenure at Hogwarts, which pretty accurate seeing as how George Fant left the game with an injury. <laughs> I mean, he was their right tackle in this one and he just got the start after Max Mitchell was their starter last week. It's, you know, it's it's been a really long stretch of bad luck at offensive tackle for the Jets this year. But 
the Bills have been able to find that pass rushing success the last two weeks, and that would be a huge thing. Rousseau's improvement moving forward against the Dolphins, against the Bears, against the Bengals, against the Patriots, and whoever else they wind up playing this year. That is probably the most important facet to the rest of their season on defense that it continues along that trajectory. Because right now we are we are seeing what Rousseau can be. Like the length to disrupt passes and bat down passes. He's just the complete, he has the ceiling to be a complete player. And we're starting to see that a little bit. Now it's just a, a matter of him continuing along with it. And it's very impressive to watch. I, you know, I did not, I, it kind of caught me off guard because I wasn't really expecting this so quickly after Von Miller went down with an injury, but, but he's, he's been bringing it. So very, uh, very interested to see if that continues as they go on. But it's not only him. Like, Daquan Jones had a great game in the middle of that defense and played a, a crazy amount of snaps at defensive tackle because um, they basically boiled it down to a three-man rotation without Jordan Phillips. C.J. Brewer barely played. Daquan Jones took, by my count, nearly 74% of snaps. And it's just making an impact against the run, Jets really couldn't run between the tackles in this one. And Jones was a huge reason for that. Was getting good reps as a pass rusher, recovered a fumble. So getting that type of performance from from that guy and Oliver and Epinesa, like th- those were those are great signs. But getting Tredavious White to the point that he was at in this game is a humongous feature to what they're going to be moving forward. Tredavious last week played on 61% of the snaps, which was a landmark game in the fact that the one before that Patriots game, Tredavious only played on the team's first two defensive series. Last week against the Patriots, 61%. Got a lot of good work and probably would have been more than that had they had the Patriots been closer down the stretch, but still wasn't a full game. The reason why this one is the, I guess, declaration of Tredavious White fully being back, having no limitations, having no hesitation and have you know more importantly having the both the the team's confidence in him and his confidence in his knee to be out there in this capacity Tredavious White played on 100% of the team's defensive snaps and that would be an accomplishment in itself but in his first game of playing 100% of the team's snaps White they had him travel with the Jets top receiver Garrett Wilson for much of the game. I would have to go back and track how many snaps it was, but it was a lot. Like usually Tredavious White is against, you know, teams that don't have a star receiver. 
would just be camped out on the left side of the formation. Whoever else is starting would be on the right side, and that's how the Bills would, would generally play it. But the signal was there because right from the get-go, Tredavious White and Dane Jackson would kind of hover towards the middle of the formation. And then as soon as they saw where 17, Garrett Wilson, was going, White would go would go there. And on the four snap, it was the first time that White had uh, lined up on the right side of the defense. And so that was the true signal that White was, was shadowing him. So for the Bills and himself to trust Tredavious White to handle those responsibilities in his first game of 100% snaps, it's a big thing. For this roster, because now it opens up so many different defensive possibilities for them. And yes, Garrett Wilson made some catches. There was still a little rust on Tredavious White, but you could sense him kind of shaking off that rust and, you know, playing some hunches throughout the game. Being a solid run defender and, you know, standing tall against when he had to go one on one against uh, Zonovan Knight a couple of times. Those are all important signs that that Tredavious White is starting to go here a little bit. So having that feature of their defense back and being able to trust just the one side and yeah, it's gonna it's going to result in some catches just based on the way that the Bills usually line up defensively. A lot of times it's off coverage and in zone and designed to keep everything underneath. So that's inevitably going to allow some catches. So it's never going to be perfect for Tredavious White, but still making some heady plays out there. And that's a, you can only assume that the more he plays, the more the rust is going to get kicked off here. And, and he's just going to be going to be fine for them. So those facets, Rousseau and White, I think were the two biggest developments for me in this game. Well, really the last two weeks, but definitely it reached a high point in this game. I mean, Rousseau's two sacks, just game-changing stuff that the Bills could have for themselves moving forward. And while the offense is trying to figure themselves out, it certainly helps that the Bills have kind of settled back into this dominant defensive form when they're up against a an inferior offense. I do want to see how they perform against like Miami, even though Miami is struggling. You know, I'm recording this with right right near the halftime mark of the Chargers Dolphins. The Chargers are up 17 to 7 and Tua Tungabailoa is 3 of 14 for 25 yards which is ridiculous considering how well the Dolphins passing attack has gone this season. But you look at what this defense, what this Bills defense is capable of. I want to see how it, how it looks against, you know, a better offense like the Dolphins most times or against the Bengals and we'll get to see it. However, there is still at least one pretty large concern, and that would be at the second cornerback spot. This position is 
completely in the air. Volatile. Just the Bills are trying anything at this point. They so badly want to uh, want to get it figured out that they're making changes from week to week. And we don't usually see that from this team. Like it's usually they give a few games, get get some sample size out of it and and then make a determination from there. But to see them kind of go back and forth with so many different players, I can't really recall a position that has been like this in McDermott's tenure in Buffalo. It just and it's it's a bit unique because there's the Tredavious White factor that that comes into play here because he wasn't around for the first part of the season. But since he's been back, it's just been all over the place, starting with the Lions game. They played Dane Jackson, Christian Benford, and Kyrie Elam in that game. At that point, Xavier Rhodes, I believe, was still part of the practice squad. I'm just going to double check on that. Fairly certain of that. Uh, let's see. Lions game. Xavier Rhodes was still on the practice squad. He had been called up the the game prior against the Browns and got 25 snaps out of it. So that's that's another factor to this. But against the Lions, they used Dane Jackson. They used Christian Benford. And then when Benford had to leave the defensive snaps for the game due to an oblique injury that has now landed him on injured reserve, they brought in Kair Elam, their first round pick. Against the Patriots. Benford's on IR. They healthy scratch Elam, which we chatted a bit about in the uh, on the pregame pod. And certainly not a promising sign about Elam's short-term outlook and per- perhaps even, you know, his potential. But... Elam was a healthy scratch last week. Xavier Rhodes started the game and they had benched Dane Jackson after every game before that one. Dane Jackson for the games that he was healthy enough to play was nearly a 100% defensive snap player. So Jackson got benched last week. Saw some warning signs from Xavier Rhodes against guys like Devontae Parker, who was kind of hitting him on some underneath and intermediate routes. And to the Bills' credit, they didn't they didn't say, all right, well, Xavier Rhodes has the most experience. We're going to keep with it. Nope. They, this week, they made Xavier Rhodes the healthy scratch. Dane Jackson gets put back into the starting lineup. And Kair Elam is active, but did not take a single snap on defense. So it's just all over the place and Jackson has struggled for over a month now Xavier Rose like I said he showed some warning signs against the Patriots even though they won that game Kair Elam it's pretty telling that they just can't trust him in in zone and what you know we we go back to that Lions game because the Bills played a lot of man-to-man down the stretch once Von Miller went down with his uh what we now know as a an ACL injury. 
but they played a lot of man-to-man and that really benefits what Kair Elam does. I think the hang-up here is whether or not they can trust him within their zone defense and, you know, playing instincts. And they, they made some comments early in the summer, maybe early season. I can't remember exactly when it was, but just that, you know, you don't want to think too much about everything and just a bit of a paralysis by analysis situation. I think there's probably a, a bit of that going on. But whatever the reason is, they don't feel as though he is as good of an option to them as Dane Jackson or last week as Xavier Rhodes. We'll see if that continues. I'm of the belief that it can't really get worse. I mean, Dane Jackson has been picked on by opposing teams. He had some bad reps against the Jets and in every snap roll. It's kind of at the point where you just have to see what the rookie has and to see if he can make a contribution this year. Because if he can't, you want to know that. But if he goes the rest of the year not playing a single snap on defense, then you're left with a ton of questions. Or maybe, you know, play devil's advocate on my own theory here, because why not? Maybe they're of the mindset that, okay, you don't want to expose him to to getting beat in a game because you believe in his long-term potential and... You know, if you don't think he's in the best place to figure it out or the best place to be an effective starter for you or someone that gets a ton of snaps, then maybe it's the best for his long term that that he is on the sidelines. That's the only thing I can think of as to why they haven't done something there with Kyrie Elam. I do wonder if this is all just setting up for once Christian Benford is ready to come off IR, which he's got two more games that he has to be on IR. And I talked with Benford before the before the Jets game. I think it was on Thursday. And it seems like he's he's already ready to go. And he's working to the side already. He, he wants to get back in the lineup. He said he's preparing as though he's been playing. And um, certainly seems like he's doing everything he can to be ready for that uh, game against the Bengals, which is his first game he could, he could return. So I do wonder if this is all just kind of setting up where not really getting great performances from Jackson, can't really trust Xavier Rhodes or Kyrie Elam, that because Benford showed a proficiency in zone and is a very calm player from one play to the next, even though he had some errors, I wonder if that potential for him to excel in those zone defense co- zone defensive coverages that maybe that's that's the guy once he returns. But it's all projection. Like are they really pinning their hopes and dreams on a rookie sixth round pick to be their starting cornerback? Nice. It's a really uh it's a merry-go-round that Results in <laughs> some some terrors by, by the end of it. So the Bills have some 
some things to figure out. I, I think they just need to keep tinkering with it and see if something sticks. If it's me, I'm giving Elam some snaps next game. I want to see it. I want him to prove that he can't be played as opposed to, you know, just assuming that he can't because of some of his earlier struggles in zone. So a to be continued on that one. But yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of elements to this game that could bring you one way or the other. But I think where I ultimately land is that this is a team that has not played up to their potential in a few weeks now. Like the defense is certainly getting there. The offense leaves a bit to be desired. But to be on a four-game win streak, to have a 10-3 and record, to be atop the standings, and to still not totally have your fastball, it's a really enviable position to be in right now. And I'm not I'm not just saying that because, you know, they're on a four game win streak and all is well. All is not well. Like they, they've got some they've got some stuff going on that they have to address. But to be where they are right now, and they're still like one of the best teams in the NFL, regardless of all this adversity that they're going through, whether it be injury or poor play at certain positions. Regardless of both of those things, they're still one of the best teams. And if they can get back to what they were earlier in the season on offense, and they've got a four-game runway here, and they're not exactly going against, like, like they've got some defenses that they can exploit over these next four games to get themselves in a spot where when they're going into the playoffs, it's wheels up. If they can find that over this next four-game stretch here, then this could be a dangerous team in the playoffs. But they do have questions to answer. So it's it's not all the way there, but being 10-3 and three and atop the AFC with four games to go and controlling your own destiny to have the playoffs go through your home stadium, that is... And not having that fastball, like I said, not really living up to your ceiling game over the last several games. That has the signs of a team that I think can win it all. But like I said, they need to figure some stuff out. So it's not all rosy or anything like that. There are some legitimate deficiencies that they have to overcome. But to go on this winning stretch of the way that they have... And to make the plays when they need them, it's very, it, it should be a promising sign. Not like a, oh my God, this team is going to win it all. No, not there. There's a lot of good competition out there. But you can certainly see the bones of what could be a really good team in the playoffs. The offense just needs to kind of meet the defense by the end of the season of where the defense is playing right now. And then then we'll see what they've got once the playoffs come around. So a lot of uh, intrigue over these next four weeks for sure. A couple of really strong tests in the Dolphins, or at least what the Dolphins were. We'll see if the Dolphins 
wind up coming back in this game. It's still 17 to 7 at halftime as I'm recording this. So if you're listening this to this and the Dolphins wind up get blown out, so be it. That's what, that's what happens when you record a pod. But they've got the Bengals, who are going to be a tough out. The Bears, who have been much more much more fun on offense with Justin Fields and how they've kind of allowed him to run the ball a bit more, calling design runs, and then the Patriots, they should do do pretty well in that game at the end of the season. But this is a good little stretch to where they're, they're going to have to go toe-to-toe with a couple of good offenses here. It's a lot to be learned as we go forward. All right, let's get to the award portion um, because that's how we finish all our games. We start off with the Dre Archer Award for the player that did not show up at all in the game. And I think my Dre Archer Award has to go to John Brown because they called him up for the second straight game to be their fifth receiver. He's still on the practice squad, mind you. Had the one target. You know, Debatable whether or not he should have come down with it. Kind of an underthrow, but... Only three snaps the entire game didn't really have too much of an impact, especially when they needed something from the receiver position. So my Dre Archer award goes to John Brown for a very muted performance. I think my uh, uh, that, that brings us to the Vontae Davis award for the player or thing that did not show up in the second half. See, it's tough because the offense put together a few different scoring drives but I kind of almost want to say it was the offense for not putting the game away at the at the end. It just kind of let the the Jets hang around. I don't know. I guess that's a bit too abstract because it's not the full second half. I don't know. Let's let's go with like Isaiah McKenzie or something, or Gabe Davis, one of these two. Let me check the first half stats. In the first half. See, production-wise, McKenzie had three for 21. So it wouldn't be Davis because Davis had, had no catches at, at halftime. So McKenzie went three for 21 in the first half. He winds up with three for 21 in the second half. Perfect! Isaiah McKenzie he had a couple of drops throughout the game. Again, it's just calling into question what McDermott's comments about fundamental error or fundamentals being an issue and dropping passes. McKenzie had two. So I guess we'll see if Khalil Shakir kind of eats into those snaps at all. By my count, it was 41-14, I believe, in favor of McKenzie in the game. Yep, 41-14 by my count. So we'll see. We've been, you know, McKenzie's been so up and down the entire season, they've still kind of stuck with it. So I do wonder if there would actually any be changes because they haven't done that to a grand scale. But... Yeah, they, 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 they just need a little bit more pep on offense. That's for sure. All right, let's go to the Matt Barkley Award for the player or thing that caught you by surprise for a good reason. And I think I'll probably go with... I think I got to go with... And it's weird because he he was my MVP for the game in my uh, seven observations. But I think I have to go with Rousseau because of 
how well he played and how well he has played over the last two games that they haven't had Von Miller. And he was coming back from a high ankle sprain too. So it's not as though he was at full capacity. Like He has been super impressive. So yeah, Rousseau, I knew he was good, but playing at the level that he is, I think is, is the Matt Barkley for me. If I'm missing anything ridiculous or uh, ridiculously obvious, I apologize. But uh, I think maybe Demar Hamlin. I'll give it to Demar Hamlin. Force the fumble. That's that's the Matt Barkley award. That's that's the obvious one. My bad, everybody. But so Demar Hamlin, and then honorable mention to Greg Rousseau. Next up is the Blaine Gabbert Award for perseverance. Uh, a little abstract too, but gotta. Maybe Naheem Hines factors into this because every time they try to give him the ball on that on that jet sweep, it's just the defense knows it's coming. Like they are prepared and he gets smacked. He took a couple of big hits in this game. So honorable mention to him. I got to give it to Dawson Knox because his role in the offense is a bit all over the place. And it's by design because the offensive tackle play and the offensive line play for the for the Bills has been uneven throughout much of the year. And so Dawson Knox is one of those guys because he has really improved as both a pass blocker and a run blocker this year. And in pass blocking situations, you'll often see him against a good defensive end. He'll stay in just a little bit longer and at least chip the defensive end. Sometimes they have him line up right right in the backfield as an extra layer of protection for Josh Allen. So that's why his receiving stats have been a bit uneven throughout the year. But for him to come through with the with the type of game that he did, especially at the end of the first half, getting that touchdown to kind of just jumpstart the entire offense. It's not as though they they like dominated the rest of the way, but I mean that is a huge individual effort. So Blaine Gabbard Award for Perseverance goes to Dawson Knox, who came from a game where he was barely targeted to leading the team in receiving the next week with a touchdown. So Blaine Gabbard to Mr. Dawson Knox. And then uh my fine my final award, the Gotta watch the tape award, which, as you could imagine, goes to the thing that you gotta watch the tape to see what exactly happened. This has absolutely nothing to do with the game. So, at Highmark Stadium, uh, in, up in the press box, there are a couple of different ways to get down to where we need to go to for like interviews and things like that. So, basically... From the press box, there's a couple of different stairs. Either way, you have to go outside, kind of fight through the um, the crowd that's coming the opposite way and trying to leave the stadium and getting to this one little building where it there are stairs to get down to the tunnel. But there's also this like this other staircase that is kind of a shortcut, and it has this. This door that really opens up into uh, to where a bunch of fans are coming through, and it's basically like playing Frogger as you're as you're walking by it. But what I encountered today 
was something I had never encountered before in that little journey down to uh, the press area, the press conference area. As I went to open the door, there was a young woman vomiting right in front of me onto the onto the pavement right there so like and it was directly in front where i could only open the door half of the way and so i was i was kind of stuck there because i need i needed to get down to the tunnel area but i also don't don't want to disrupt the process <laughs> of what was happening so i just kind of like slowly closed the door and just kind of waited until it was until it was through and then someone that was with this uh this young woman was saw me trying like in this weird half and half area where you know i don't really know when to go when not and there's not a dip there's not another way to get out when when you commit to this little shortcut you are going that way so i just kind of had to wait it out <laughs> <laughs> saw some, uh, yeah, saw a little bit. Uh, that was fairly unpleasant. But eventually, whoever was with the young woman helped her on her way to get out of the stadium. And I was able to get through. But there was, you know, just some uh, residual just chilling right there on, on the pavement where you usually walk. So uh, I guess got to watch the tape uh, to see how differently i could approach that situation i i you gotta you gotta like sit and wait right like that's that's the whole i mean i think ever most people have have been there where you've maybe had a little bit too much or you're feeling sick and just things happen so gotta watch the tape to see if i need to rethink whether or not i need to take the shortcut it's mostly been an efficient means to get down there but yeah that uh that was a a roadblock for sure so gotta watch the tape to see if uh i need to take a different route next game all right so the bills are now 10 and 3 still atop the afc and if they win all four of their games they are the top seed in the afc that's that's the nuts and bolts of things right now whether or not they get there have some have a few tough games coming up here and I guess we'll see, but plenty of questions that need to be answered and uh, we'll we'll see how the Bills handle things in a what on paper is a great week 15 matchup between them and the Dolphins on Saturday night. But we'll see if it, it loses any luster with how the Dolphins kind of finish things against the Chargers. But and if the uh, if the Bills were to win that game, Regardless of what happens in this Chargers game, well, certainly if the if the Dolphins lose to the Chargers are eight and five, and then the Bills beat them next week, and the Bills are eleven and three versus the Dolphins being eight and six, that is like clinching sort of a situation. But even if the Dolphins were to come back and beat the Chargers and be at nine and four, if the Bills were to beat the Dolphins and then the Dolphins are nine and five, the Bills are eleven and three, then that would heavily favor the Bills at least winning the division and getting one playoff game. It's a lot on the line 
regardless of what the Dolphins do the rest of tonight. So we will uh, we will speak later in the week to get you ready for that pivotal Bills Dolphins game and uh, see exactly what the Dolphins bring to the table, why they've kind of struggled recently, and, and everything along those lines. And then of course we'll we'll chat after the game when it's bright and early on Sunday morning, uh, as in the always loopy uh, post game episodes. All right, so. My name is Joe Biscalia. Thanks, everyone, for listening to me on this episode of the Buffalo Beat. And we will talk to you during the week when the Bills are getting ready to take on the Dolphins on a short week, but a pivotal one. Talk to you then.